Good morning, Waypoint, and welcome. We are so thankful that you're tuning in. We love you, appreciate you, and are praying for you. We want to let you know that there is kids' content available via the link below. We hope you and your family enjoy that. Also, it's important for you to know, next week, we're going to be launching our live experience at 9 a.m. instead of 10 a.m. due to summer scheduling. Don't worry, if you miss, miss it, you can catch us on our YouTube channel and watch it at your convenience. With that, we hope you enjoy week three of our series, Pandemic.
Oh, 
today we are continuing our pandemic series. We're looking what happens to us when fear spreads like a contagion. We've looked at a couple ways fear enters our life. We talked about crowds, groups, uh, people generally who bring that to our lives. And we looked at the unknown. And we talked about ways that we could face those fears and find a way to still move forward. Well, we're, we're adding a third today. And this one has a lot of similar kind of responses that um, kind of stir up in our heart when we face this one. There could be depression, there could be anxiety, there could be fear. But this one has a few unique things as well. It has the ability to stir up anger. It has the ability to generate some guilt and some shame. And so um, we're going to take a look at this one. As I was thinking about this particular fear, I realized that I had a relationship with this that started when I was young. When I was um, much younger, I realized that I had some skills. I had the ability for stealth and flair. And I, I would be able to sneak up and then present myself in a way that could elicit an incredible response. And I loved scaring people. I remember um, I was sent to bed one night and I decided I would ambush my dad. And so I went and I hid in this dark place. And as um, I'm waiting, I'm ready, and I, and I get out at the right time. My timing is incredible. Now, my dad didn't know what was jumping out of the dark at him, and his first response was to take a swing, and he just missed me. And I realized at that moment that maybe my technique needed to change. That wasn't the only thing that I realized needed to change because as I got good at scaring people, I had to deal with the payback. And um, as I realized that people were trying to pay me back, I, I kind of accepted that the, the thing that made this the most fun was the response. And if I could take away them getting a response from me, maybe they would stop. And so I started at a young age training myself not to respond to stuff. I would actually watch scary movies. I mean, not, not horror movies, I hate those. I would watch suspenseful movies and I would try to go through that whole movie and not flinch. Like there would be things that were happening and you would just try to sit there and deal with it. There would be loud noises around my friends and they would all jump like this and not me. I would, I would be firm. And so I had this sort of thing where I was trying to find a way to not respond. And it turns out that kind of training has been helpful here recently because in the last month, the youth ministry guys have been messing with me. And uh, they've tried to do this in a couple ways. So uh, I want to show you a few. That I, I'm sitting at my desk. You can see me off in the background. And they decide that they can make a noise and somehow ruffle me. Let's see if that works. Excellent, right? I took care of that. This is the kind of training that I've had, but I will admit that um, as I've gotten older, I've not been working as hard at this as I, as I have in the past. And so there have been some times where I've been sitting on a couch watching a movie with Tracy, and she'll look at me and say, did you just flinch? Like, and I'll try to play it off, but yeah, I flinched. I mean, it made me kind of jump or move. And so because of that, I got some cracks opened up, and, and because um, of those cracks, this also happened um, with those guys messing with me. See this. We're here for Where's Blair Wednesday. Oh, ouch.
Yeah, not, not thrilled about that. Yes, I did take and throw his phone in the trash can. It was fine. There was paper in there. It didn't get hurt. Um, all of this I'm sharing with you to say that uh, at an early age, I concluded that if I could control my reactions and responses to things, I could control the outcome. And I found that it started working because I wouldn't scare. People stopped even trying to do that with me. And so it started to spread in my life to all kinds of other things where I believed if I could control the responses that I had, that I could control the outcomes. And control became a really central part of who I was. Now the thing is, I think this is true for a lot of people. Because I see this show up in people's lives in a lot of different ways. Maybe, maybe you're one of these people, or you work for one, where somebody micromanages uh, the situation and they do that because they believe that if they just deal with all the little specific things that they can control the outcome that would happen. I watch people do this um, with relationships where they believe if they just had the right routine and they make things happen in the right way they can elicit the kind of responses that they want from other people and so they control or they attempt to control people in their relationships. See this happen with health, right? People eat right, they exercise, they do all those kind of things. Those are smart things to do, believing that they can exert some control. I've watched people who work hard, they plan, they have, they have a game plan in their mind, and they believe if they do that, they can get the goal that they set. And I think goals are great, but it's this idea that I can create the outcome that I want when that happens. And we have all of these different kind of situations where we run into that we believe, I made a list, um, and some of it is just um, we put up guards on our emotional responses that we let people see because we don't want to show them some sort of weakness. And so this happens with coworkers. This can happen with friends. This can happen with your family members where you're trying to guard how you react and respond and what you allow people to see. Our social media world has really allowed this to become prevalent because you can put out there for people to see the side of your life that you want them to see and you can start believing that that's real. That this narrative that I control and display to everybody is really what's happening in my life. And in fact, it's messier than that. See, all of this control that we try to exert on the world, it can all go away quickly when a simple thing enters our life that's out of the norm. I made a list of those things too. It could be, it could be anything. It could be a phone call that you get and you find out something about your health or the health of another person and very quickly you realize you don't have any control over that. Or it could be that you, you are furloughed and recently, it's happening in our culture to so many people, and some of you are probably experiencing that for the first time in your lives. You had believed that if you worked hard, you would always be employed. You would always be the kind of person who wouldn't face that situation, and now you have, and you're facing the loss of control. It could be an accident where somebody runs into the back of your car, and it totals it, or you wish it was total because all the trouble that now comes with having to fix it, and you realize you've just lost control. It can happen with an unexpected bill that you get. 
And you feel yourself seizing up when you realize, oh, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. Or you had a plan and you worked hard. And then all of a sudden the realization comes to you that it didn't matter how hard you worked, that you weren't the one who was going to make the decision about whether you were admitted to that school or not. You aren't the one who gets to make the decision about whether they'll hire you or not. And all of the stuff that you did to put you in a position to be successful doesn't hinge on you, but instead it's outside of your control. Or somebody looks at you, your spouse, and says, I'm not sure how much more I can take. I want to start seeing a counselor with you. And all of a sudden in that moment, the reality hits you that I have not had as much control as I thought. Many times it does happen the way I described it, where there's an event that takes place. And that event suddenly helps you see that you don't have very much control, but it doesn't always work that way. We were having a conversation in our staff meeting about the different ways that people have felt like they've lost control in our lives, and somebody else had a different take on how it happened with them. And so I, we recorded a Zoom conversation. She had a sick kiddo that, that day, and so uh, we did this over Zoom. And I want you to see how this loss of control unfolded in her life. Check this out. So after that meeting, I kind of reflected on that time in my life and picked Jason's brain too, just to kind of go back. And it was shortly after our third child was born, Drew was born in April and he came early. And so when he was born, um, I didn't get to finish the school year with my kids. And then I actually ended up leaving that job because now I had three kids at home. And it was a job I absolutely loved. So it was really hard to make that decision. Then two weeks um, after he was born, we found out that he had um, a hernia that needed repaired. But they would not do the surgery on him until he was at least six weeks old. So for that four weeks, I had to hold him pretty much nonstop. I had to do everything to make it so he wouldn't cry because every time he cried, it, the hernia would push back out. And that was very emotionally draining <laughs> on so many ways. On top of that, I think um, in the past, I've always been the glue to my personal family. I have four sisters and a mom and a dad still together but I carried their burdens often. And during that time, um, one of my sisters was going through a very difficult marriage, was wanting to leave her husband, but was making poor choices herself. And she had four children of her own, which was really hard for my heart to handle. And so I carried that burden and tried to, you know, fix, fix all of that. Um, at the cost of my own well-being. When you got to the place where you felt like you lost control, can you maybe explain a little bit about how that felt to you? That was probably one of the worst feelings to recall. Um, I think the most pivotal moment, and I did, I described this to you the other day in the meeting, was just sitting on the floor in my bedroom. I was on my knees, literally shouting out to God. I mean, literally yelling and just like, I don't know what else to do here, Lord. I've talked to you. I've read my Bible. I'm trying to help others. I'm trying to manage my house and my family. 
you know, on all the ways that I believe I'm supposed to. Um, and I pulled out my Bible again and I tried to read it and the words got so twisted in my head that it honestly came across like so demeaning and almost like cutting me back down. Um, it was just being used against me and my mind just twisted it all to negative. And so I literally threw my Bible and I just started bawling. Um, and it was at that moment that I was like, I can't do this anymore by myself. I'm done. I, I just feel like a piece on a chessboard being moved around and I have no will, no idea of even what to do next. Any one of those things that she just named probably would not have caused a problem. But because there was a buildup and a whole series of things over time got to a place where she felt like, I can't control all of this. It was kind of interesting in the conversation. We didn't include this part with her, but she said at one point that she felt guilty and ashamed because she was losing control. And this is part, this is kind of a hallmark of this idea because in our culture, we believe that you should be strong. And that part of that strength that you display is that you're in control. And when you start to lose control, you almost feel ashamed that you've allowed that to happen. If there was any time where a sense of hopelessness could get infused into your life, this does it. When it's heaping on guilt, when it's heaping on shame, when you have a sense of fear or anxiety about this, it really can go to work on your heart. And I started asking myself, is there anybody else in the scriptures that we could go and maybe this happened in their lives and we could look and see how they respond. Maybe we could learn some stuff. And God brought somebody to mind and I went and started reading a story and I think there's some valuable stuff here. So I want to take you into Acts and we're going to look at a guy. He was going by his Jewish name, Saul. And when we find Saul in Acts chapter 9, the guy's got everything under control. I want you to see how he carries himself. This is in Acts 9, verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the disciples. I love how this is written here. It, it's almost like the murderous threats are coming out of him as at a pace where like it's just breath for me. It's just the way I am right now. Why would he carry himself so boldly, so arrogantly? because he believes he's on a just mission. He's seeking out people who are disrupting Judaism, and he's dealing with them. He has put people to death. And look at who he's hanging out with. It goes on. He says he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether man or woman, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. The, um, Paul has power. He has the power to imprison. He has the power to see people dead. He has powerful friends. This guy is in control. And the way he is carrying himself says, you should be afraid of me. And people were because he had that much control. Until verse 3. In verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from the heavens flashed around him. Think of any kind of alien movie that you've seen where people are out in the middle of nowhere and light shows up above their head. It's like that. It's got to be terrifying, right? He falls to the ground and he hears this said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul is about to get a reality check. He has believed that he was doing right. He's about to find out that it was all wrong. 
He believed that he was standing up for God. He's about to find out that he's persecuting them. He believed that he was putting to death people who were guilty, and he's about to find out they're innocent. The whole story that Paul has been living has been wrong, and he's going to be confronted with this. Now, the Scriptures record Jesus saying some more to him. People heard what was being said. Only Paul saw it. But I want you to see how this ends because it ends with Paul experiencing a loss of control. This is verse 8. This is, it's, it's over. The light is gone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. This really powerful guy who just a little while ago was breathing murderous threats to people that he could deliver on is now being led like a child by the hand. He's, he's now suddenly been confronted with the fact that he doesn't have as much control as he thought he had. And it's shown up in this way. In verse 9, we pick up his reaction to this. He's been, he's been confronted with the fact that he's lost control, and I want you to see how he responds. Verse 9, For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. This makes sense to me. Uh, I, I've been in a few moments in my life where an outside, unnormal thing came in and made me realize I didn't have control. And I didn't want to eat. I didn't want to talk. I didn't want to sleep. I understand that. And I, I think Paul even had it worse because on top of this, he is dealing with this sense of guilt and shame that he has been attacking the very God he thought he was defending. And so his response is not to eat or not to drink. He, it's not going well. He's also got to have in the back of his mind, how long am I going to be blind? How long am I going to be helpless and have to be led around by somebody else? And so his reaction is just to ooh, be tight. And he ends up um, having a sense of sickness. Now, I don't know about Paul, but I think when I've gone through those moments, all I've wanted was just for things to go back to normal. I just want to go back to normal. But what that means many times is I want to go back to this place where I thought I had control, where I thought I was actually producing the outcome. That's what I really want. In fact, um, we hate this idea of losing control so much that if we could avoid it, if Paul could have seen that coming, Saul, I'm sorry, if Saul could have seen that coming, he would have avoided it. He wouldn't have gone down there. And I think that's what's so hard about this thing that's going on in our culture right now is one of the ways that we lose control is to get sick. And so we're facing a whole group of people who, um, you know, you could get sick at any time. You don't see it coming. It's very contagious. It spreads easily. All of that sort of thing is true. And so what do you do with that? Because you, you lose control of your body. You lose control of your schedule. You lose control when you get sick. And for us, if we could avoid it, we would. Um, to illustrate that just a little bit, we decided to find uh, a lighthearted way to look at how, how extreme we would go to to avoid losing control. So we have another installment of The Office. I hope you'll enjoy this.
Bro, what are you going to do? You have a meeting with him, right? You're not going in there. I have a plan. Saw this on Facebook. Foolproof. Can we just do this from out here? Guys, please quit freaking out. It's just allergies. I'm not sick. don't get it. I I can't even think of any allergies. Well, I'm just allergic to cats. So I found this cat outside today. Decided to name it Sprinkles. Thought I would just take care of it for the day, but I'm going to keep him. Oh my. Yeah, I I know the cat was a girl. I did call him a he in the movie, so please forgive me for that. But all of that to illustrate this simple idea. If we could, we would run, we would hide, we would avoid anything that would cause us to feel like we're losing control. But the reality is, when it's a sudden event or it's this thing that builds up over time, you can't avoid it. It's going to happen. And the question is, is there a way to have a healthy response? Because many times the response to losing control is depression. It's a sense of anxiety and fear that you're not really sure what to do. And for some of us, it's anger. And we brought that up because at the core, anger is this idea that somebody owes me. And so it works really well with this idea that I've been in control. I've been doing everything perfectly that I need to do. So I'm owed the outcome that I want. And when I don't get that outcome, it makes me angry. And it can become very destructive for you. Or you feel like, uh, I should not be doing this. I should not be facing this. And so then you feel shame and you feel guilt. And the pile of this is horrible on our lives. And the question is, is there any way to respond in a healthy way to this? Maybe the first thing we could do is accept that we have never been in control. Any control that you would have had is just perceived. It's not real. Uh, which is very difficult for us to hear. We like to believe that we're the captain of our ship. Some of us who lead believe that you have to lead from strength. You can't lead any other way. And so for there to be some place in our lives where it's not in control, that's not acceptable. But the truth is you never were in control. I mean, think about it for just a minute. I want you to think about some of these very big things. And I want you to ask the question, are you in control? Do you have any control over the economy? Can you do that? Do you really have control over your relationships as if the other person's choices and thoughts didn't matter, that you had the ability to make all the right moves to make that relationship work? Do you really have control over your health? You can do all the right things and you still get sick, don't you? Do you have control over whether somebody runs their car into you or not? Do you have control when the stock market goes down or goes up, do you have any control over any of that? Do you, do you really have control in this life at all? Now, there are some responses and things that you do that matter, but when you realize that I don't have control, it's an, it's an important step because here's the thing. If you fear losing control, 
Doesn't that start to go away when you realize that you never had it in the first place? That you're not fearing losing something that you had. You, you just don't have it in the first place. And because of that, the sense of fear or anxiety can go down. I think um, sometimes uh, we work hard to create these perfect plans for our lives. And I don't think plans are bad. I think you have to set goals. I think you have to do that sort of thing. But the belief that you can create the outcome all the time, I think when God looks at that, I think He thinks that's cute. That's a cool idea. I like that you're doing that. But you have to take something bigger into mind. You have to understand that I'm also at work. We see that unfolding in the story with Saul. God actually presents part of his plan that's bigger than anybody would have imagined, and it's almost shocking. This is what he says about his plans for Saul. This is in Acts chapter 9, verse 15. This is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Saul, the guy walking around, killing all of Jesus' disciples, that's your plan? I could think of a thousand other people who would be more qualified than this guy, but that's the point. God sees bigger picture than we do. He understands things that we don't. And so when we believe that we can do all of these things to micro out the exact thing that we want to see happen, we've discounted God's place in that story. And it would serve us better if we could just accept this idea. We don't have control. It seems to me that Paul actually came to a place in his life where he accepted that. Um, he, he started going by his uh, Greek name, Paul, and in a church in Corinthia, he wrote a letter. And he included in that something that was happening to his life that, again, gave us this indication that he was in a place where he wasn't in control but his response seems to be different this time. I want you to see this. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. He says this in the middle of the verse. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Does it sound like something he would choose? But look at the, he described it as a torment. This is not something that he wanted. This was not something that he was looking forward to. And yet, Paul seems to have a different response to this because he asked God to remove this. And this is what God says to him. This is found in verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Um, Paul says, listen, I wanted this to go away. But God says, look, this thing that you have that makes you weak you have everything that you need to have to live with this. I've given you enough grace. I've given you presence. I've given you all this. And how does Paul respond? Does he not eat? Does he not drink? Does he kind of hole up and freeze up? Or what does he do? We find that response in the second part of verse 9 here. It says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. He's glad. He's excited. He's presenting this thing that has, has him out of control as something that's of benefit to his life. Why? He tells us, so that Christ's power may rest on me. I love how that's phrased. 
I think when you go and look it up, you can realize there are several words that easily could have been translated. Rest is good. I like the word covered even better. This idea that um, Jesus is like covering him like a blanket, draped over him. And I would, I would suggest to you that that's the second thing that would be helpful for you to understand when you're facing the loss of control, is that um, Jesus covers you. And I think um, sometimes we hear that and we're like, oh, good, that means we're going to be protected from any harm. No, that's not the case. For Paul, he still ended up being beaten. He was shipwrecked. He had all kinds of jail time. But he knew he was loved. He knew he was protected. His soul was with him and God, and that he was never going through any of that alone. And so he had this sense that although he was facing difficulty, he was facing these moments of weakness, that it was an opportunity for Christ to be seen in him. And so he remembered that he was covered, that he was protected by the presence of Jesus himself, and it changed the way he looked at his weakness instead of seeing it as something to be avoided and to run from, something that caused weakness and him to feel like he's lost control and should be guilty and ashamed of, it became something that he boasted about because in him, Christ could be seen. Uh, I think this makes sense. I think these two ideas uh, work together. And if you could find a way to remember what's true... Uh, you would really be better off. And in fact, um, Danielle kind of mentioned that as I was talking to her about her story. Uh, when I asked her one of the things that she found that helped her, she talked about this, this idea of um, thinking about truth. So I want you to see the end part of our interview, and then I want to come back and we'll close up. One of my best friends now that I've had for years and years tells me even now when I start saying, well, I shouldn't feel this way. If I start going down that path, she'll say, what you're dealing with may not be severe, but it is your reality and it is where you are at. And so that is what you have to wade through. Um, and that's so true. We all have our own battles. We all have our own, you know, walls to tear down, um, lies to push away. And having gone through something like that now and having the right people in your life to, you know, speak the truth and help you learn that. Um, that's been huge. And that was really probably the thing that got me over the hump was speaking the truth daily. Um, that was one of the things the lady had asked me to do was um, speak truth over yourself every morning before your feet touch the floor. One of the reasons that we don't like to lose control is because the fact is we're going to be vulnerable at some point. We're going to actually show weakness. Things are not going to turn out the way that we had scripted them in our mind. And because we want to avoid that at all costs, we scrap and we wrestle for control and we forget what's true. And the truth is you've never had control. And the truth is you are covered by a God who loves you, who drapes himself over you, who protects your heart, who has your relationship guarded between you and him, you are never alone and you are loved. And if you could remember the truth, I would tell you that's the third thing that I think you need in this fight, is you need to remember what's true over and over and over. You're actually not in control. You have somebody who loves you. And if you could remember the truth, you could step into life in a way that you haven't before. I don't think I can remember a time 
where so many people have been thrust into a place where they've lost control all at the same time. Maybe 9-11 is close. But for so many people in so many ways, whether it's health, whether it's job, whether it's economy, whether it's all kinds of stuff, just in one moment, we've lost control of so many things. For us, for followers of Jesus, this becomes an incredible opportunity because when you understand that your weakness is an opportunity for God's covering to be seen in your life, you can act with boldness. You don't have to have control. You have to accept that I may have this weakness. I may have this thing that's slipping out of my grasp, but I don't have to be perfect because my perfection happens with Him, not without Him. And if you can stay connected to Jesus during this time, you could step boldly into our world and act with confidence even while you're weak. You can do it. This is what God had in mind for you. You're not in control. You're covered. If you'll remember the truth, it could change your life. God, I ask that you would help us to face these uncertain times with a sense of courage that we get, knowing that you're with us, draped on us, a shelter for us. Walk with us as we move forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, thank you so much for tuning in this morning. We are so glad that you are here. Even though these are hard times, we are very, very happy that we can still gather together online and worship with you in this way. If you have missed any of our previous services, please subscribe to our YouTube page. Check them out. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to email us about anything. We love you guys. We're here for you. We'll see you next week.